0: You're listening to a Soulfire Productions podcast. Hello, hello, hello. I'm so excited. Me too. Oh my gosh. Hey. hey. Y'all, we have, which I'm changing. I decided last night, I'm not fucking calling you Connor's best friend anymore. I know. There are so many people that
1: come to me and are like... Hey, you're Connor's best friend. I'm like, yeah, my name's Lindsay. I'm friends with Kelly too. We're not all dating, but we're oh friends. God. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. When at Ceremony Wellness, most of you, well, many of you listening, I wouldn't say most, cause that would not have worked. Um, 150 of you listening, uh, were introduced. Uh, to Lindsay as Connor's best friend. Um, but I decided yesterday you're here staying with us all week. And I was like, I really need to stop introducing you as Connor's best friend. Cause it sounds kind of like, I don't really like you and I'm not close yeah. to you. <laughs> I think I might talk to you more than he does.
1: <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And I got here and it was like, Lindsay, we're going to go to the gym. Yeah. Lindsay, we're going to go do this. And it was like, cool. What's carding? I don't know. Yeah. All right, cool. Like I came to visit Kelly this trip. I didn't come to visit Connor. Exactly. Uh, I, I will take it gladly. Um,
0: so I'm so happy to have you on the show. You, you are like one of my first calls when shit hits the fan. I would like to think that you're my personal therapist that I pay in love and, uh, let you play with my dogs.
1: That is <laughs> worth
0: it. Um, but I, I just like deeply admire and respect you. And I was telling Connor yesterday, I said, I forget that Lindsay is five years younger than us. It is so bizarre to me because you carry yourself with so much maturity and so much grace and so much wisdom. And obviously, on your journey to becoming a therapist, there's so much that you learn and there's so much like context for life and other people's experiences. And I think that plays into it for you. But I think in your heart of hearts, you're just such an incredible person and woman and friend and confidant. And I admire you so much. So I'm so excited to have this conversation with you on top of the fact that you are a new podcast host and your okay. show just launched.
1: Why don't you tell everyone about uh, Get Psyched? Yeah. Well, that was the, can I just have you do my intros yes. on who I am <laughs> for <to>. every episode? <laughs> um, so yeah, Get Psyched. It's the newest I think one of the newest shows to Soulfire um and it's doing exactly that. It's having conversations with people that I know from the therapeutic space, from the healing space, from the wellness space and I know that conversations, open authentic conversations were what really pushed me to be in this like healing space in the first place. Um I think that people can make the argument that therapists are like The most fucked up of all of us like there was something that got us into this profession and what schooling has taught me is like to get curious about those things and not just come into it with the archetype of like i'm a wounded healer but like heal your wounds before you become that healer Mm. and these conversations have allowed me to do that and get psyched is such a passion project where i was having these incredible conversations with people and knowing how much they're resonating with my life and knowing that if those conversations can reach one person and it helps them attend to something that they've been you know hiding from or something that they've felt alone in and knowing that they're not alone and knowing that there's a chance for healing and there's a ch- there's all these other you know holistic options to to resort to before medications or anything like that like that would be enough. Mm -hmm. That is why the show exists. And I want to talk about things like sex and wellness and trauma and therapy and all the things that feel taboo that people feel so alone in and knowing that like they're not taboo. It's just what people talk about in the shadows. And so bringing those shadowy conversations into the light. I love it. The show is
0: incredible. I'm so excited for you. Um, And everyone can just check out the show notes and get a link to Get psyched and be sure to go listen and just there's so much wisdom to take from you. So I'm so happy that everyone gets to hear you on your own pod. Um, and in this episode, Lindsay and I talk about so many things. We talk a lot about kind of the the attachment styles um, and what it's like to be raised in a certain environment and how that affects you as an adult. Um, and then we talk kind of about this progression and a lot of it was based on Connor and I of moving from these anxious or avoidant spaces into more secure attachments into the moment when you decide we're on the same team, like we have this common goal, this is where we're moving to um, and removing the manipulation and threats and um, different things like trauma that really hold us back in a lot of ways and don't allow us to commit at the level I think so many of us are looking for and feel that love and and security. Um, And we end it perfectly with talking about partners who trigger us. So this is a really fun episode. It's a good one. So good. All right. Here is our conversation. You were just telling me about you've only had one female boss. How was that? Oh, my gosh. Well, I called
1: her uh, Miranda. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. She didn't understand why. And I was like, this is part of the problem. You need to know why (laughs) I'm making this reference. And it was when I, I was like right out of undergrad. I had received some of the best advice of my life. And I had gone to a professor that during the years of my undergrad had always offered to let me, you know, come to office hours, talk about what a career in the legal field looks like and all these different things. Cause my undergrad is all in pre-law. I was determined to go like be a justice warrior. You would have been a super hot lawyer. Just saying. It was really fun. (laughs) It was like the phase of pencil skirts and Mm, heels, like it was hot for like six months, <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I swore to myself when I left the law firm, I was like, "I'll never ever take a job. I can't wear yoga pants." Too yes, and I have stuck to that to that rule. It's been really great. But flashback: um, I had been talking to this professor. I was a week away from graduating, and of course, me, Lindsay, that waits till the last minute to do everything, went to his office and was like, "All right, like I have my LSAT prepped. I have this going on." Da 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 da. He was like, don't do that. And I kind of looked at him like, homeboy, I just spent three years getting this degree. What do you mean I shouldn't go pursue this, this career? And he was like, I've had you in tons of my classes. Like you can write the papers, you can do the research, you can do the thing, but you're going to hate the job. Like you are absolutely going to hate being a lawyer. It's just not who you are. Like I see the arguments that you make in my class. You, you care too much about people to do this job. You're not cutthroat enough. You're not. Yeah. Apparently not. (laughs) And, uh, I'm like, this guy is whack. And he goes, do me a favor. Take six months. You're graduating early. Take six months. Go get some real life experience in this field. If you still want to go to law school after that, they're going to take the person who graduated their undergrad early, got, you know, real life career and did the whole thing over like UCSB grad who just thinks they need to go to law school. So I was like, okay, fine. So I go get a job as a paralegal in San Francisco and I'm from like bumfuck nowhere. So it was the biggest deal that like oh my god, Lindsay made it out of this tiny little town and she's like living in San Francisco and da da da. And day 1, I looked around and I was like, oh this is not good. This is not fun. And this snake woman walked into the office, Miranda. And I'll I'll, I'll clickety I'll, clackety clickety clackety. Yes. <laughs> like this woman would plan. So depositions, right? We were we were a defense firm. When you set a def- deposition, they come to your office. And when they set a deposition, you go to theirs. She would like set depositions with clients that were in New York so that she could go like shop their Louis Vuitton Oh, instead of having them come to our office. And like, just there were times I'm not even joking you. I can't make this up. Like, you know, the moment in Devil Wars Prada when she kind of like one's over andy and she's like you look nice Mm -hmm. that would happen on a regular basis i would come in and she'd be like "Mm, that's fine but like do you have different shoes wow yeah i had a a pull-out drawer of like hundreds of pairs of pumps because i was like this woman's gonna make me change my shoes at some point yeah it was the most gnarly thing and i in that moment i was like and granted like This woman was the epitome of like an old timey lawyer, like drank really expensive scotch. And like when we would do really like important meetings, she'd take me to cigar bars. I'm like 20, 21. And I'm sitting in a fucking cigar bar drinking scotch. Like what in the actual fuck? I'm so fancy. Yeah in my like I totally she, earned this. Yeah, I <laughs> earned this life and she was just so gnarly. And the other thankfully I worked for more directly for another partner his name was Brian and he was just the tits. He was awesome. And this other paralegal I worked with was in tears daily because of this woman. And it hit me I was like I get that you came up in a time in this career when women didn't and like you had to develop this. And you like take so much pride in employing other women. And then you just like, it felt like trauma. I was like, you have passed on all the bullshit that you went through all like we needed to earn it. And it was like, you are miserable. You are so, so miserable. And you are choosing to like pass that on to the people who are like your predecessors. So that was the last time I worked for a woman. Oh my God. Yeah. Which seems so crazy because I listened to your show and you just had uh, Jessica Zweig. Swag, And I'm like, yes, like strong women who are not in competition with other women or aren't, I guess, operate from this place of abundance instead of like, there's not enough and you might take it. So I need to just be like, make a bitch so that you don't. It It's tough. I feel like there's so much in society that Even subconsciously, kind of pits us against one another, and we're always secretly in competition with one another, whether or not you like want to admit it. Mm -hmm. And it's really not until you can like see it for what it is and admit, like, oh fuck, like I really have been in competition with women my entire life that you can even start to move away from that or embrace like your sisters.
0: At what point did you like have that moment where you're like, I don't have to compete with her or I don't? It doesn't need to be she's better than me or I'm better than her," or there's only one you know, one job for us.
1: Yeah, oh. Um, so I feel like anything and everything in my life is kind of holistic. I'll have something in one area teach me like this massive, massive tool or, or, or massive shift, and I can sit and apply it to other areas of my life. And so in my last relationship, my partner... Suggested an open relationship. And I was like, fuck no, like lost it. And it, you know, all of my own stuff came up. It was like, you're going to leave me. You're going to abandon me. She's going to be prettier. She's going to be smarter. She's going to be more funny. She's going to all these things. Like this. I've never had those thoughts before. So know, that's fine. Never. I don't know what you're talking about. No one does. <laughs> and like, I made up this fictitious woman that I hated. And I was like, you're going to, you're going to leave me. You're going to fall in love with her. You're going to ride off into the sunset. What and color hair does she have? Oh man, she was hot. Yeah. I will, and I'm not even into women, Kelly. Like, <laughs> we know this. And she was a babe in my head. And, and then I started, you know, like doing everything that anyone who's ever considered being in an open relationship does. They like read Sex at Dawn and they read The Ethical Slut and they read Meeting in Captivity. And I'm such like a heady person that I was like, okay, if I can understand this on an intellectual level, then maybe I can understand it in a different way. Maybe I can understand it in my body. And I would notice when he would like hit on girls or he'd be like, babe, what do you think of this girl? There were some that I was like, I don't care. Like, fuck it. Have sex with her. And then there were some that I was just like, no, like, you can't do that. And, uh, and there was a long time where I was just like in that constant competition. And, and when I sat down and kind of reflected, it was like, okay, Lindsay, there's something about some girls that bother you. There's something about others that don't. What is it? And anytime I felt like a girl was, you know, wittier than I was or more educated or had something that I didn't, had something that I wanted, had something that was a huge insecurity in myself. I was like, oh yeah, no, you can't, you can't date her. You can't talk to her like, ew, gross. Right. And, um, and so it became a learning experience of, it wasn't, it never had anything to do with the other girls. Mm -hmm. It never had anything to do with the other bosses it never had anything to do with with anyone else it was always my own shit and when you're in it and you're in the in the like trenches it doesn't feel like yours it just feels painful mm-hmm. and when you get to a place that you can remove yourself enough and kind of look at things objectively and and get curious and ask yourself like why why am i reacting why am i not taking a breath like why am i not even capable of responding Anything coming out of my body, out of my mouth is just like quick fire reaction. Um, Odds are that's pretty much your own, that's, that's your own shit coming up. That has nothing to do with your partner, nothing to do with your boss, nothing to do with anyone else. So I started kind of leaning into that discomfort and getting curious about why am I so worried about this or why am I in such competition with her? Um, And and started carrying that over into other things in my life. And whether it was work or at the time I was competing at CrossFit, right? And, and granted, when you're in a competition space, you're constantly asked to compare yourself to other people. Um, but it was like, just because she has it doesn't mean I can't have it too. Or just because she does something that I really like, I don't ever want to be exactly like her anyway. I'm not her. That's not my role. That's not my job on this planet. But I can like admire something that she does and adopt something as my own, a a trait or something that someone does that I'm, you know, just in absolute awe over. Like that's something I can practice and cultivate in my life. Doesn't mean that just because I start practicing it, she loses it. Mm. And, um, I think that my entire life being in athletics and being in a competition space, it was like, Oh no, like you're the best. And that's it. Like, there's no question. These girls can be your sisters. They can be your family. And you're still competing for a starting position. I'll still cut a bitch, even if you're my sister. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like you have a starting position over me? Mm -mm.
0: I would literally go into volleyball games when I was 12 years old and not my own teammates, but other teams. I would literally go in with the goal of breaking a girl's glasses. And I did it. I broke a girl's nose. I broke glasses off her face. And I felt so good about myself. yes. Like
1: 12 years old, Savage Kelly. I cannot believe I was like that. We had a team that we would play against in in elementary school. Same thing, like middle school, elementary school. And uh, their coach, when they would get, re- they were like the team that was always undefeated, did this, that, and the other thing, like never went to three like games in a match, it was always one and two, right? And so we knew we weren't going to beat them. We were from, like I said, like these little corn fed kids from the top of this crazy mountain. And uh, I was like, but we can't, we, I know we're good enough to like take them to three games. I know we're good enough. And uh, anytime the coach would get mad, she like you could see her like knuckles start to turn white and she'd start stomping. And you knew you had like really gotten under this coach's skin. And I'm fucking like 12. <laughs> and this coach is like in her fifties. I'm like, <laughs> I'm making this bitch throw her clipboard. Cause I know if she throws it, I'm doing a good job. Wow. And, and she did. And I was like, so psyched. But I think that we look at, for that so often in the outside world as an external validation that something that we're doing is working. And we get so caught up in, in chasing that validation that we don't even recognize what the motive is behind it. We don't recognize that that is what's fueling us on a fundamental level, on like a neurological, like chemical level in our brains. And we get addicted to those those feelings Mm -hmm. that like, oh, someone's in a a weird way, that coach getting pissed and throwing her clipboard was proving my worth that I was enough as an athlete. And in turn at 12 years old, like my worth as a human. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And those patterns can get so tricky and we can fall into them so easily because they're ingrained in us from the time we start school, from the time we learn about the American dream, that if you work hard enough, you will be successful and these things will happen. And we don't ever stop to question like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. We take so many things as universal truths before we even question if, you know, why we're doing it is to, I don't know, piss off some other female or get a coach's attention or seek some validation. And it, it the world becomes a much easier place to navigate when you're trying to validate yourself and not trying to get it from other people.
2: Mm.
0: So I, I don't believe in the American dream anymore, so I'm just going to pass over that and go back to polyamory. Um, go for it. <laughs> this shit is just not even real. I know. And we're in the um, middle of the worst election. Yeah. So. Lindsay is currently visiting the week of the election. Um, so she pretty much has just been listening to Connor rant for oh, four days. Geez. Um, we're all moving to new to New Zealand if anyone wants to join. Yeah. Us. If you want to join our uh, our commune. Yeah. The American the, the Americans who escaped commune. The American nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have dreams anymore. No. Um I wanna go back to this. We I don't think we've really talked about your experience in your past partner talking about wanting an open relationship. You're usually counseling me through my <laughs> monogamish situation uh, and my insecurities and fears. So was he sleeping with other people? Did
1: that happen? It's tough. Um, so we went through a lot of different things. Um, he was in the military. He would leave, you know, first and months at a time and, and do military things and stuff that's the that's the scientific term I was gonna say. <laughs> never uh, heard that one, yeah, and uh, I just didn't care. like, I know that sounds really bad. It's not that I didn't care what my partner did. It's that, like the military and its inner workings were so far from anything that I understood or truly had a passion of understanding that I was just like, "You go to work and you do your thing, and that it, I could go off on a whole tangent about this, but he didn't align with it either. Mm. So it was very tough to be with someone who was very good at their job and had a very hard time doing it because it didn't align with what they did on, on like kind of an ethos level. But, um, there were times when he would leave. Um, he also started going to school in New York and
2: we kind of agreed that we weren't together, quote unquote, we're not together
1: but would go on dates with other people and come home and call the other person right away or would sleep with someone else and have like this, like crawling out of my skin, uncontrollable desire to like go see him afterwards or go be seen by him in some way. Um, and so it was this weird, like when we were in the same place, we were monogamous and we were, um, you know, constantly having the conversation of, could we open this? Could this be different? But when he was there, and I'd go months at a time without having him, it was like having this weird honeymoon phase, where it was like, "Well, we're in a really good spot right now, and I don't want to fuck that up." But once you leave, it's kind of like "Don't ask, don't tell," and we'll we'll figure it out when we'll pick up the pieces when you get back. Which anyone who's like adventuring into this world, I do not suggest that. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) Okay, don't. Um, But that's where we were. That was that was our process, and that was that was our life, and it was really painful. And and I can't tell you if it would have been more or less painful to be like actively watching him date or having this weird fear and insecurity of like, oh, he's gone for months. What's going to happen. And we're technically not together. Cause that was kind of my thing. I was like, if we're not technically not together, then I have this story that like, I have no right to control him anyway. When fuck Lindsay, if you boil it down, like you don't have the right to control anyone's life, whether you're together or not. Like if he's going to cheat on you, he's going to cheat on you. It has nothing to do with you. If he's going to leave you, he's going to leave you. It has nothing to do with you. Those are all his own independent decisions. So I know I got kind of off base there, but yes, we slept with other people and it was in this weird container that was not like we're in an open relationship, Mm -hmm. which, you know, if I talk about it in passing, it feels more true to talk about it like that, give it that kind of language. Cause there was never a time where like we didn't check in with the other person or care about the other person or, you know, we had a pretty like open door policy. Like you can ask me any question you want and know that you don't, you just shouldn't ask questions that you don't want the answers to because we're going to have radical honesty with one another. Um, And I think that that is truly the only way that like anything like that can work Um, is that both people, take ownership of like where your curiosities lie and the other person like makes the decision and is is honest and open about you know what they're doing and that you guys can have those hard hard conversations um but what what is really hard for me around all of that is i hear so many people and so many of my clients are in polyamorous relationships and a lot of people make the argument of like oh it just makes our communication so open and so clear and I kind of look at him like, okay, and mm-hmm. like what else? Because if you're going to tell me that you decided to be in an open relationship so that you could have better communication, <laughs> grow up, <laughs> grow up. Like y- you should be able to, and I don't like shooting on anyone, but if your argument is I want to be more open and honest with my partner, why can't you do that in any sort of relationship container, whether that's open, monogamous, monogamish or anything in between that. If that is a value, that can be your value in any sort of container. Mm
2: -hmm. So
0: I think that's an interesting point you make because I know that my communication with Connor has gotten better in our situation, but that's not, that's like a byproduct of what has happened. I didn't think that was going to be a thing. I didn't even know anything about this world going in. So I was kind of like blind and just like open, like whatever this is, I guess I'm signing up for. And oh, cool. We communicate better. But it wasn't without its rough patches and really hard moments and not communicating well and learning what that meant. But I think for us, it was exploration and curiosity and freedom. And then good communication and deeper connection and deeper intimacy were all these like byproducts that happened. But I, I know that every time I've talked to you, you're kind of like, open is not for me. Like, that's not a situation that I feel connected to. And you mentioned earlier in, in joking passing that you're not attracted to women. Um, so for everyone listening, no, Connor and I are not having sex with Lindsay.
1: We need to say that on everyone's show. I know. Because everyone, th- thank you. Thank you for putting that on the interwebs. Because <laughs> I, after OK Babe came out with the threesome episode, so many of my friends text me and were like, are you Joan? Like, what the hell are you guys talking? And I hadn't even listened to the episode yet. What the hell are you guys talking about? Like, uh, okay, babe, go listen to it. I listen to it. I'm like, oh my God, no.
2: No, I'm not.
0: Yeah. So we're not having sex with Lindsay. She's just our dear friend. Um
1: But why
2: do you feel that it's not for you? Mm -hmm. I mean, women or open relationships? I
0: mean, I kind of get the women
1: thing, but open relationships. Yeah.
2: So Intimacy
1: is is really interesting. Um <laughs> I, I don't know where I heard I'm it. I'm going to title of the show Intimacy, intimacy is, is really, really interesting. interesting. And I'll tell you why. It's not just like, oh, cool, sex is awesome. It is. But I heard it explained one day someone said intimacy is like into me I see. Mm. And I have been going through the last few years just like radical radical transformation. Um You know, I started down this road of becoming a therapist and and my schooling was like, hey, full transparency, like we are not going to teach you how to pass the test with the Board of Behavioral Science. We're not. We're going to teach you how to sit in a room with someone and look at their shit and not have your shit affect it. And I think that that's exactly what being intimate with a partner does, is it allows you to look inside yourself and asks you to get really fucking honest with it. And if you don't get really honest when you're in those moments, you know, that can be for a lot of different reasons. There could be some dissociation. There could be, you know, it could be a source of numbing. It can be all these different things. But when I started moving into relationships and sex with more intention and more of a desire to understand myself, I just knew that I wasn't in a place that like, I could also be doing that with other people in the picture. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that I think that sex and relationships, I think that they're a living, breathing thing. They're very fluid and, and whatever the rules and boundaries and guidelines that you set around it, like can and should be reevaluated because you and I talked about this the other day. The person that I have been at the beginning of relationships and the person I have been at the end of relationships have been two completely different humans. And that could just be where I am developmentally, right? Like I'm in my twenties. I can tell you that at 28, I'm a lot different than I was at 21 when I first started dating people very seriously. Um, And with those changes, I think that there's, you know, your relationship can and should grow along with it. And that only happens if you're willing to have those conversations. And right now it's just not a conversation that like I'm willing to have because there's still so much that I'm working on with myself. There's still so much into me I'm seeing that I need to be doing. And if there were multiple people in that picture, I would, I just know that I'm working through so much attachment wounding and early trauma that it, it would not be conducive. I would just be in like a highly like aroused and not in a good way highly like sensitive state. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be able to show up for my partner in the way that I would want to.
0: So I'm glad you brought up attachment styles. Cause that's what I wanted to get into next because, you know, Connor is avoidant. I'm anxious. And as we got into this world, I think a lot of like Connor definitely has intimacy struggles with women and this like commitment he's not like commitment phobic. He's been in committed relationships, but there's like this next level of commitment that I think he has struggled with. Whereas I have been, well, I would say I've been the opposite, but then every, every time I'm with someone for two years, I bail. So maybe not, maybe it's very similar. Uh, you can break me down therapy wise (laughs) in a second, which is what I wanted you to do anyway. But so he's that way. And so I felt like bringing someone into our relationship was another way for him to sort of keep me at an arm's length distance. And it wasn't about deeper intimacy. It was more about like having fun and doing cool things together, but not like diving deeper. And for me, I'm super anxious. And so I just went straight to being abandoned, not good enough. Uh, You're not choosing me. Why am I not okay? Like all these things. Um, But we both have abandonment wounds. And so that's where this, I think, has been so difficult. And now it's nice. Like I was telling you before, we had a threesome last week and I, it was the first time I didn't panic. Like I legit every time we've hooked up with someone had some, some semblance of a panic attack during or after. And so it's made it really hard and it takes some of the fun out of it. And he's just like, fuck my life. Like, are we doing this again? Yeah. He's like, it's not a big deal. Like, whatever. Like, he just goes up to the kitchen, gets a Topo Chico after and is like, "Okay, like on with my day. And I'm like, but what does this mean? And I'm not good enough or blah, blah, blah. And so it's been very interesting um, navigating that with those attachment styles. So from your perspective you and Connor are very similar in a lot of ways. I think you and I are actually very similar in a lot of ways. You kind of overlap. But why do you think that the attachment styles have such an impact on people who try to open up or try to have different experiences together and watch those triggers and those wounds come up?
1: (sighs) Yeah. um, I think this kind of circles back to exactly why I'm not in a place where I could do that (laughs) is because I think that especially right now, and this is not to knock anyone's relationship container, but right now being in an open relationship is so trendy. It's so trendy. And I have people coming into my office asking me about this world and asking me about this kind of relationship because they've heard about it on a podcast or they've heard about this and it's like miraculously fixed everything. It's like how people talk about psychedelics. Like, oh my gosh, you're going to go and eat these mushrooms and you're going to be fucking healed. And it's like, no, you're not. Mm-mm. Um, and so. What's most important is to get clear and, and do the healing and understand your own attachment style before you could ever ask someone else's to kind of help co-regulate yours. Um, you know, whether you're anxious or, or avoidantly attached, both come down to abandonment. And what happens is the child either chooses, Oh my gosh, you're abandoning me and. Uh, are you familiar with like the studies they've done uh, with kids and parent caretakers leaving the room and watching the child? Oh, yeah, I think you told me about that. Yeah. So in, in a nutshell, they'll watch the kid interact with the parent. The parent will then leave. They'll watch how the kid reacts under that stress and under that pressure. And then observe again, how the kid reacts when the parent comes back. So an anxiously attached kid is usually like all over the caretaker. When they're there, they're like kind of performing. They're kind of like, look at me, love me, show me affection. Um, If the caretaker leaves, the kid is in absolute distress. And when the caretaker comes back, the kid is like still in distress, but wants to hold on to the caretaker. And so that is what's so hard about anxiously attached later on in romantic relationships. And what it maybe sounds like you were going through is like, there was a ton of distress in your body. And all you wanted to do was hold on to Connor mm-hmm. and like, please don't leave me. Right. Please don't do that again. And I'm not capable of calming down from the last time you left. So it's possible that like, I'm not able to calm down from the last time other people have left and you're just the attachment person that I'm here with right now. And so I need this. Whoa. The avoidant. And this is just my guess. I could be completely off, but that's where I'm going with this. I mean, you, you know, all the things that so you're <laughs> spot on. Um, with avoidantly attached people, the, oftentimes they'll interact with the caretaker originally in the room. Um, they're, they're pretty confident in doing their own thing. They might kind of look back and see if the caretaker's there, but if, whether they look back and they're there or look back and they're not, oftentimes they'll still continue to do their own thing. So when the caretaker leaves, sometimes the kid is unfazed if they're gone. Um, sometimes there's a little bit of distress, and then when the caretaker comes back and tries to show any sort of affection, the kids there for it is like, okay, cool, this is happening. But there's like, sometimes they'll like pull away, like you'll see a hug, but their head will kind of move or, or they're, they're distracted. They're just not here with mom or caretaker, whoever that person is. And so, you know, maybe that's also why Connor's so easy to be like, okay, I'm detached from this. I'm going to go grab a topo cheek out of the fridge. Like I, I have this moment of like, nobody's really like the person who was supposed to show up for me when I was too young to even know what attachment was. I was just like in this, like, you know, I'm this little tiny child in this world dependent on this person to care me and they're not, then I'm going to go, I'm going to become so hyper-independent that I'm going to be okay, regardless of that person is here or not. Mm. Um, You know, like hyper-independence is a trauma response a thousand percent of trauma response. So when you get into a relationship with somebody, and it's funny because my entire life I have told people I'm avoidant. I'm avoidantly attached. I leave before I can get left. I, you know, I was raised by a single mother addict alcoholic. And so there again, we go back to why I understand Connor, like we were raised in very similar conditions. Um and so I became somebody that didn't ever want to depend on anyone else, didn't ever want to have a handout, didn't ever want to feel different, right? No one, especially kids don't want to feel different. And so I was like, if I can just keep my shit together enough, if I can be the MVP, if I can be the prom queen, if I can be all of the things, nobody's going to ask me the shit I'm going through at home. Mm -hmm. And I carried in that same kind of hyper-independence into my career into my friendships, into my relationships. And it was like, ooh, this is getting hard. This is getting like shaky. And there's probably a need for a really hard conversation right now. I'm not even gonna have it. I'm just gonna bail because if we have that conversation, odds are you're gonna bail. And then here I am stuck being abandoned again. Mm -hmm. So I always thought I was avoiding it because I would just avoid hard situations. I would avoid getting left. I've never been broken up with because I would break up with somebody before I could feel heartbreak. And in working with my therapist recently, she questions that all the time. She's like, are you avoidant? I'm like, yeah, fuck, like, fuck. I'm I'm, I'm out, I'm bailing. And she's like, why are you bailing? I'm like, because all I want to do is be loved. Because all I want to do is be seen and this person isn't doing it. And I'm afraid. I'm super afraid that they're not going to be able to show up. And if they don't show up, it's just reinstating that narrative that I'm not worth showing up for. And uh, she goes, that sounds pretty anxious. And the thing about avoidant attachment is that the, the avoidant truly craves the attachment. Mm-hmm. They truly, truly crave secure attachment. And when they get it, they freak out and don't know what to do with it because they've never had it before. And so, you know, I'm not going to say my therapist is wrong because she's been right about so many different things, but that's kind of where I feel like I lie. And I think that that's where dating someone with different attachment styles can be so hard, but can also be so healing. If you both enter into the relationship with like, Hey, this is my shit. I know what I'm working through and I am willing to be open and honest and talk to you about what I'm going through and share my process. Because in sharing, we can heal, right? In sharing, we can regulate. In sharing, I can assume that you were totally fine in the threesome and you're internally freaking the fuck out. I don't know that unless you share that with me. And so if the goal is to get to secure attachment together, it it really takes knowing your shit, knowing your triggers. And when it's really hard and you want to bail or you want to just be hugged and you want to soothe in some way, like soothing has helped you survive as a kid. Soothing's not going to help you level up in your relationship now. So you can fall back into old patterns that feel good and move you out of discomfort and move you into something that's more comfortable. But in my experience, something that's made me more comfortable hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. I end up bailing anyway. I end up getting hurt anyway. And, And so there has to be this like understanding of what is the common denominator in this? And am I wanting to fall back into that same pattern every time that hasn't served me? Or am I willing to get a little bit vulnerable and tell this person that that very well could walk away, that very well could leave me, that very well could abandon me, what I'm going through? And I know that that's a scary thing to ask someone to do, but it's truly the only way to start breaking those patterns that got you into that relationship in the first place. I love all of that.
0: So I want to know, how do you know if you're securely attached?
2: Asking for a friend. Asking for a <laughs> friend.
1: You know, I don't know that I have ever met anyone that shows up and is like, I'm securely attached. Right? Like, is that even a fucking thing? Right. And the thing about trauma is that it's all it's all in the eye of the beholder. Something that traumatizes me to my core could be nothing for you or vice versa. And so I think that we a lot of times look at kids that had the quote unquote perfect life, right? Like, of course, when I started learning about all this, I was like, oh yeah, I'm super fucked up because of my mom. It's like, everyone is fucked up because of their mom. (laughs) Everyone is fucked up because they have daddy issues. Everyone. And the the reality is our parents didn't, I mean, I'm sure that there's parenting guide books out there. I'm so far from kids that like, (laughs) I I haven't even looked into these things. Right. Um, but they're like, I don't know, parenting for dummies. I'm seeing like the big yellow book. (laughs) (laughs) So there are guides. Um, that doesn't make your life experience different. That doesn't Mm. make you that much more ready to be a parent. Like the only thing I can associate it with is that I'm a dog mom and I everyone was like don't get a dog it changes your life and I'm like yeah yeah and then I got a dog and I was like fuck this changed my life like I can't go out and stay out all night I need to go let him out to pee I need to let him eat I need to do all these things so I could only imagine what it would be like with a human child right like you you think you're ready some people aren't ready some people you know, are, are terrified their entire pregnancy. And and that's another story of just like the traumas that you can, can sustain while you're in mommy's tummy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that the securely attached person, I don't want to say doesn't exist because I'm sure that they do. Um, and I, and I do believe that you can move from an anxiously attached or an avoidantly attached or any other kind of attached person to a secure person. Um, But what I think it takes is is becoming secure with yourself before you can ever become secure with somebody else. And I don't know that people are really willing to get curious about their insecurities. I think that, again, like I was saying before, we're, we're hardwired to move away from discomfort and move into something comfortable. And the things that question our attachment, the things that question what we take as universal truths are super uncomfortable to lean into. And so I don't know that I can say I've been around in a securely attached person. I think the, the closest thing I could say to it is somebody who, you know, operates from a place of authenticity, operates from from a heart space without an expectation of receiving anything back because they're so whole from from themselves, from if this person stays, awesome. And if this person leaves, I get it. And I know that neither one of those decisions has anything to do with me. Um, I'm not saying that we're inherently selfish by nature, but we are trying to survive and we take everyone's actions as this idea that it's something that they're committing against us or that we did something and it's going to trigger all of these responses in someone else. And my favorite thing to say to my clients in that time is like, wow you sound really important. Mm. And people just kind of giggle, right? When you realize like, oh fuck, I'm in this place where like, I think that my being and my energy and my doings are so important, so impactful that it's going to create all this ripple effect in the world. And most oftentimes it doesn't. And we have these grand expectations and either the expectations let us down because we thought we were going to make this huge change or this huge impact. And someone was like, Oh, that's cool. Sick. Double tap moving on. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, there's, you think there's going to be this huge blow up and you, you plan for catastrophe and someone's like, okay, cool. And so I think that although we are the most important people in our own life, other people are also the most important person in their own life, and so we need to get to a point where like we're operating in a place that we feel happy with who we are and authentic in who we are, and knowing that what we're doing isn't serving us from like a self-serving selfish standpoint, but just like I'm going to be okay because i'm I'm operating and moving through this world with the intention and openness that's supposed to come to me. Mm.
0: So well said. I was thinking as we're talking about moving into like secure attachment, not that I think Connor and I are there by any means, but I specifically remember a huge fight we had the night before quarantine happened and it was really ugly, like yelling. Connor and I are very fiery, bullheaded people. So we would get in fights and it was like yelling and like, what the fuck? And, you know, just like angry and super defensive. And we didn't hear each other. And I remember it was one of those times. And I just, we were both like, fuck this. Like I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. And I walked downstairs and he's just laying on the bed. He had gone from threatening to leave, like packing a bag I think maybe that might've been one of the nights he was looking for an apartment. (laughs) Uh, That's only happened twice, but that's how bad it was. And I come downstairs and he's laying on the bed and I'm like, what are you doing? And he just was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going on. And I don't remember exactly what was said, but there was an energetic shift that night where it was like, I want to leave. That is my gut reaction. This is what my pattern is, but I'm choosing to just sit in this and I'm not really sure why or how. And that was a huge moment for us because before it was, I mean, and I've called you and when I'm like, we're about to crumble, like I don't know what to do. And I call you because you understand him and I love him so much and I want to understand him. And that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, like we're re patterning right now. Mm -hmm. And it happened again, I think one other time over quarantine where it was like really shitty and we both just kind of sat there and it was like, okay, so we're here. We're not leaving. And then after Remy died, I think I was telling you this the other day, I, he had been saying in passing, like kind of joking when we break up or whatever. And I just looked at him. I said, we're not breaking up. Like We're taking that off the table. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, we just got through something so tragic. It was the hardest thing either of us has ever been through. And we showed up so beautifully. I'm like, we're not breaking up. Like This is not a threat anymore. Just take it off the table. And he was just like, okay. And it was, I feel like this year, last year was our first year together and it was extremely hard, like so many hard things. And we both just wanted to bail over and over again because we push each other so fucking far to the edge. We challenge each other, we hold each other accountable, and it's really uncomfortable and painful sometimes. And then come into this year, hard in different ways. But what I have noticed is that because of like trauma and tragedy and all these hard things being stuck in a house together, which is probably going to be trauma (laughs) 10 years from now, everyone's going to have PTSD from quarantine. Oh, for sure. Um, good luck with all your your clients then I've got,
1: (laughs) I've got job security. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) You are an essential worker. Um, but I feel like all of that almost pushed us into more secure attachment. And I was saying to you too, like, I feel like we're at a new level of commitment with one another, That I don't know, maybe would have happened at some point, but I don't know what would have happened had we not been in these such severe, intense situations together. So why do you think that that can happen going from where both of us have been to almost like this slow roll into more security amongst going through really hard things at the same time?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. That's a lot. I know. Sorry. That's okay. (laughs) I, with a lot of my clients, I'll work um, through kind of an EFT lens, which is emotionally focused therapy. And with, well, first off, the first thing that I learned, I shouldn't say that that everyone learns, but the first thing I learned about relationship therapy is that if you are doing couples therapy and the relationship ends, it doesn't mean that the therapy didn't do exactly what it was supposed to do. Mm or didn't get the couple to exactly where they were supposed to be. So like, you're not a bad couples therapist if your couple breaks up. Um, and so that kind of rings true in this of like, your relationship would not have been a failure had those things torn you apart, right? Had those things broken you guys up. Um, it's probably exactly where the relationship was supposed to go. Um, also through the EFT lens is this idea that you know, when I sit down with my couples, the first thing I ask is like, are you guys on the same team? And oftentimes they say yes. Sometimes they're like, no, she brought me here. Like, you know, this is whatever. But oftentimes people, people who are coming this sounds kind of gnarly, but I I equate it to like my clients that are suicidal Mm -hmm. that are calling me and saying like, I'm actively suicidal. And it's like, well, the fact that you're calling me, the fact that you're resourcing, the fact that you are trying doesn't sound like actions that a person who would want to kill themselves would take. It's the same with therapy. If you guys wanted to break up, if you wanted to be done with each other, if you wanted nothing to do with one another, you probably wouldn't be sitting in my office right now. Mm. So there's something, there's a, there's a common thread that we can agree upon that ideally, whether we're there or not yet, we want to be on the same team. So can we both agree, can all of us collectively in this room agree that the way we talk to one another, the way that we start to process this is not you against me, is not us against this. It is, we are doing this together. Mm -hmm. We are exploring these things together. We are willing to know that at the end of the day, we have the common goal of being on this team. And that's exactly what it sounded like of saying like, hey, we're taking breaking up off the table. Like, Threatening to break up is one of the most manipulative things someone can do Mm -hmm. because it, boom, immediately triggers someone's attachment trauma, immediately triggers someone's trauma response. And people don't understand the weight that those words have. So taking it off the table is not you being like, I'm clingy and I'm taking this option off the table. It's like, no, bro, we are moving towards the same goal right now. And if we keep throwing out this like we're gonna break up, that's just putting like a, a a speed bump in our ultimate goal. So if we just don't even attend to that, if we know that we're gonna move through whatever this trauma is, whatever this argument is, knowing that our goal is to grow and thrive together, mm-hmm. then we're gonna whatever you think the problem is, and however you assess the quote unquote problem, is gonna directly affect how you choose to solve it. And if I'm choosing to solve it from a wounded, hurt, traumatized place, it's probably not going to be the best solution. But if I'm choosing to solve it from a like we are a team and this is hard and this is uncomfortable, but we are here, we are holding one another, that's when those what you said, those patterns start to shift. There starts to become like a a not only an understanding but a deep rooted respect and a knowing and a trust that you're not gonna bail. You're not gonna leave. And I can step into this vulnerably and know that my vulnerability is being matched and being seen and that we're gonna be able to move through this together.
0: And I think too we we've talked about this a bit on okay, babe, like the sense of ownership over somebody. I don't feel like Connor operated like that, but I definitely have where I'm like, I need to tell you what you can and can't do. And there's a sense like anytime I'm in a relationship, you're mine. And I really wanted to let go of that this year because like you said earlier, whether we're together, we're not like how our relationship looks. I don't have control over you. Like you're a sovereign being having your experience and you get to make choices. You're a grown ass man, just like I get to make my choices. And I think that It's interesting because as I said, like taking breaking up off the table, there was almost a release of ownership, which I didn't really expect because for me, taking that off the table means you can't break up with me. But in reality, it means you can still break up with me and leave me. And that's okay. Like it's a different feeling. I don't really know how to describe
1: it. Yeah. I like to think of it, you know, cause we can't, we can't just go into a relationship and be like, you can never ask me to do something. Right. I mean, if someone tells, I tell people all the time, you can ask me to do anything and I will most often try to do it to my best ability. The moment you tell me to do something, even if it's something I want to do, I'm going to cross my arms, stop my feet and absolutely not do it. And that's exactly how Connor is. This yes. is me having Connor's brain too. <laughs> Um, and I think that that's true for most people out there. Like if someone tells you what to do, it, it feels a lot different than if someone requests. And that's something that I work a lot with my clients too is can we make requests? We can do a really, really good job of when we sit down and kind of say, what's the problem? And someone starts to point their fingers like you do this and you do this and you do this and you attack someone's character and you crumble them down and tell them how terrible they are that sounds like a really effective way to get someone to communicate (laughs) with you from an authentic heart space. And so flipping that narrative and instead of telling someone what, you know, like all the things that they do wrong, you can even, you can make requests. You can say all the things I like. So instead of saying like, when we're in fights and you, and you do this and you do that and it's terrible and it makes me feel this way. You can still say, you know, when we're in fights, I would really prefer it if, we responded this way. And so you're making a request and in making a request, there's also this rule in the room that your request gets to be met with some, like it's, it's possible that your request is too much. If your request to me is like, babe, I want you to do the dishes every single day before you go to work. And I look at my morning and my morning is crazy. And I know that that request just isn't going to happen. And if I agree to it right now, we are going to fight because there will be mornings that the dishes are not done. Then when you make that request, I also reserve the right to say, I hear you and look at what my morning looks like. Can we agree to do the dishes the night before? Can, can we negotiate and can we find a middle ground that works for both of us? Because it's also not fair to just, like you were saying, tell someone what to do. Because requests can, can become manipulative too. If you're like, I'm requesting. It's yeah. like, no, you just changed the language and you're still telling me what to do. Mm-hmm. To allow the person to to respond and say, hey, that's actually not a reasonable request, but here's what I'm willing to do and find middle ground, um, that also can start to change that narrative from, you know, you can't break up with me, you can't leave me, to, hey, I'm requesting that we take this super manipulative option off the table. and And now, and I'm not saying you and Connor are going to break up, but should you and Connor break up now? my guess is that it would feel a lot different Mm -hmm. because now there's like this, this mutual understanding or this mutual agreement, this request that has been made that both parties see. And should someone decide to leave, it's not out of like I'm stomping my feet in the corner because you told me I couldn't do this. And now I'm going to do it despite you.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think there's two things that come up for me there. I was having this like visual in the kitchen the other day. I, I, I don't know if I was like telling him to shush or like I snapped my fingers at him. (laughs) You know, when men get angry, and I'm sure women do this too, but men specifically, and they like clench their jaw really intensely and like you like see their ears move. Oh my God. And I was like, immediate. I was like, I'm sorry, that was really cunty. And he was like, It's okay. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's like these things that you don't realize you do where I'm trying to control him or tell him what to do when I'm kind of like snippy, like take out the trash or why didn't you do that? Or telling him to shush or snapping my fingers. And it's like, could you be more of a fucking bitch right now? Like, could you probably, but like, (laughs) this is a really high level bitch move and so bratty. And so that's like, one i'm i'm witnessing those things change um and i forgot my second point but i'll i'll come back to that but i'm curious oh my second point was it's funny to me that i chose to be in a relationship with someone who hates being told what to do when that is the greatest gift of my life is telling people what to do <laughs> why do we choose people that are going to trigger and challenge us in that way
1: hmm. i don't eh- I think it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think that that also speaks a lot to your healing. Um, Because I, I mean, we've talked about your past relationships before you have picked people that you can steamroll. Mm-hmm. You have picked people that you can tell what to do and you can tell how to jump and they say how high. And you can tell me if I'm barking up the wrong tree here, but that doesn't, there was at the two year mark. You were like, okay, sick. I'm out. I'm bailing. I'm like, I'm not into this anymore. And, um, so that doesn't feel as fulfilling to me as what you and Connor are cultivating and what you and Connor have. And mm-hmm. even though it's painful and it's brutal at sometimes, you know, like I've gotten the phone calls, I know how brutal it can be. And, and that is you like breaking the chains, breaking the pattern that you've always been in. Um, you know, going back to the the intimacy bit and into me, I see it's our partners are our best mirrors. And it's funny because in the line of work of therapy, like my clients are my best mirrors. There are so many times where I will have a client sit down and they start to tell me about their day or they tell me about this massive problem they're dealing with. And I'm like,
2: oh fuck.
1: That's me. Oh. And it kind of turns into the like, do as I say, not as I do, right? And so when these people become mirrors for us, we can get really defensive. There could have been that moment where you snapped your fingers and you saw his jaw clench and you were like, oh, fuck you, dude. Like you want to get mad at me, right? That could have been a response. And instead you're able to kind of look at it and be like, oh, I'm doing that thing. I just did something that was super bitchy. And I'm choosing in this moment to own it and try to be better next time. That's growth. Those are those mirrored moments in relationship or in friendship or in any kind of place where you have a very intimate bond with somebody. That if you can take that second of stepping outside yourself, stepping outside your programming, stepping outside the typical reaction that you always have in these moments. take a breath and be like ooh this is a pivotal moment where i can choose something different mm-hmm. and so i think that when we choose partners that can trigger us so deeply a lot of times there's trauma bond and that can be really dangerous if we're not willing to step out of that vicious cycle and level up or we can notice that our traumas are so similar and our triggers are so similar that we are going to continue to trigger one another. And we can choose to be in this like dysfunctional relationship, or we can choose to get curious. We can choose to lean into discomfort. We can choose to heal and process and grow together. And that's where the work is done. That's where Breaking up is taken off the table. That's where we recognize that we are on the same team, regardless of how uncomfortable being on the same team feels sometimes. And I said this to someone the other day on the show I was like,
0: I'm not going to break up with Connor and go give a better version of myself to someone else because this man has earned it and deserved the very best version of me. Like he has been in the trenches with me, he has gone through it. And I think so often, it's like I'll leave someone and then I'll go like do the work for a while and like be better and like realize things about myself. And then all of a sudden I show up at like this new, more conscious, aware version of me. And then they get this better version and then I leave them and I just keep doing the same thing. And it's like, yes, I don't believe those people were the right people for me. In this situation, what it feels like for me is if what if, what if and why wouldn't I lean into staying? and doing the work with this person, because I do feel like he's my person. I do love him so much. I do want to build a life with him. I choose him every single day. And every time I'm triggered and I want to leave and think, oh, it would be easier or better with someone else. To me, I've gotten to a point where I feel like, do I really want to just leave this? I'll be taking all of it with me Mm -hmm, still. mm -hmm. and then But improve myself to a degree and show up better for someone else who hasn't been through Helen back with me, like that's where I got to in the last month or so, where I was like, "This doesn't even make sense. This whole grass is greener on the other side, and I'm just gonna be better and take it to someone else. I'm like this is why I think so many people get divorced is because they think it's gonna be better and different. And It's like, well, you'll probably choose someone similar and you'll have the same triggers until so you'll have fights and do the thing. Why don't you sit and work with it with the person you're with unless you're being abused, and that's like a totally different scenario. Right. Like, why don't we just commit to sitting in it with that person, even when it is ugly?
1: Because that's, well, first off, I want to completely validate everything you just said, because it's true. You're not going to break up and miraculously be healed of all of your wounding and all of your triggers, and it's never going to happen again. You're going to take all of that shit and all that baggage with you um, to another relationship, unless you, you know, quote unquote, do the work. But most of the work is done in partnership because nothing triggers us. I shouldn't say nothing because you can have really, you know, extreme friendships or things that that can trigger um, attachment wounding. But most often we see our attachment wounds show up in romantic relationship because it's the only kind of bond that you have with another person that is similar to that of your caretaker. And now it's even a little bit more difficult because, like you said, I'm actively choosing this. I'm choosing to be in this relationship so I could choose to leave. And choosing to leave so long as there's, like you said, not abuse or something's not, you know, emotionally abusive, physically abusive, abusive, you know, anything in that realm. I am actively choosing to be with a person who is asking me to be better, mm-hmm. maybe not directly with their words, but, you know, is is asking me to address these things. And so even though you would break up in relationship and do the work and then get in with someone else, like doing the work in between relationships looks completely different than doing the work in a relationship because now I'm I'm sitting with someone else's nervous system. I'm sitting up with someone else's triggers and I need to start to operate from a place of, like you said, like this isn't just about me. This isn't just about me telling someone what to do. This isn't me just taking, taking, taking from a relationship. It's me giving and giving without expectation and, and giving in a way that I would still give and I would still love and I would still flow and be regardless of if you choose to leave or not, mm-hmm. which is a really vulnerable place to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of us don't feel like someone has earned that vulnerability and, and oftentimes people haven't. You know, sometimes we jump into relationships and I'm like, oh my God, they're perfect and they're amazing. And we have these great conversations and, and it's great. And then six months later, you're like, I hate this person. And a lot of that happens because we start to create our own stories. We start to not have hard conversations and instead answer them in our head the way that we would like them to be answered instead of sitting with the truth. And then someone wakes up one day and they're like, he's not the man I fell in love with. Like, no, he's absolutely the man that you fell in love with. You just chose not to know the whole man. Mm -hmm. And so here I am being tangential and I don't even remember your question anymore, but I think that we have a tendency to fall in love with the things that we want to fall in love with. And when things get hard and we want to bail, it's because people's humanness comes out and we're not willing to like accept our own humanness and accept like our own imperfections and that this person is going to. Highlight and show us every single one of those imperfections. It doesn't matter if I leave. I'm going to go find those in someone else. Someone else is going to bring those out in me too. So until I get to a place where I can reflect and understand why they are triggers and why I react in the way I react and choose to recognize it and respond differently, you're right. I'm going to take all of those traumas, all of those fights, all of everything into whatever relationship I'm in. Mm -hmm. So if you're not, if you have found your person, like you have found Connor. I think I remembered where I, where I started with this. (laughs) You have found Connor. Like, yeah, it's not only are you finding Connor, but you're finding yourself and you're finding how to show up for yourself more authentically and share that with another person, which is pretty beautiful.
2: Damn.
1: So eloquently said. It just took me a while. I had to speak in a big old circle, but I got there. <laughs> you're
0: so good. It's the uh, it's the new podcaster in you. You're you're getting your practice rounds of bringing conversations yes. full circle. Full circle. And <laughs> uh, now you're petting Dutch. Dutch wants to be a part of the conversation. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been like way too long in the making. I know. I'm so glad you're here.
1: I'm so so grateful to have been here. And like a full shout out to just like. Everything that you and Connor are doing at Soulfire, I'm so psyched. You yes. Like, I threw that in there. Yes, good job. I'm so psyched to be part of the team and and to be part of the collective that you guys have created because I think that conversations like this and the conversations that the hosts on y'all's shows are having are the conversations that like people need to hear, not often that they want to hear. Like if I'm driving down the road and someone's like, "Hey, you need to look at your own shit." I'm like, "Oh, fuck." Right? <laughs> But I think that you guys are doing such a good job of cultivating a community and like a conscious collective that wants to have these conversations. And I'm really, really grateful to be a part of it. Thank you. We're so happy to have you.
0: I love you. Love you too, mama. Thank you all so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to do so now and head to ratethispodcast.com slash kelly to leave a five star review. And as a bonus for doing that, if you send me a screenshot of your review before you submit, I will get you a little thank you gift in the mail. All right, we have another juicy episode coming for you next week, so stay tuned. And as always, if I can support you in any way, please reach out. Remember, I'm just a DM or an email away. See you guys soon.